difference. Here's what we all know. We know that just one word from God really can change your life forever. And change is still a good thing for all of us. We're still in the process of changing. God's changed us on the inside. Now we're getting it to come out. Praise God. I want you to say this right out loud. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Do you believe that? I believe you ought to shout a praise to God then. Rejoice. Amen to that. Go ahead and be seated. So glad you're here today. Glad I'm back. And I believe that God really has used the time, the services that we've already had. But if you missed them, you're in for a full load today. (laughs) Praise God. Amen. I want to jump right into some things. And uh, while I've got some very clear direction that I'm taking and that the Spirit of God really has focused my attention on for you, but I want to make a couple of announcements first also that come right out of couple of different scriptures. And I just feel directed by the Lord to make this announcement to you right out of Psalm 6511, which says of God, God, you crown the year with your goodness. And your paths drip with abundance. I love that line. I'm going to read it again. You crown the year with your goodness. To crown is also to surround. It's not only something that sits on us. It's something that in the Hebrew text really surrounds all the way around us. He crowns or surrounds our year. I'm taking it personal. He crowns and surrounds my year with his goodness. And his paths, now we make his path ours. So it's not just his, it's when we're on his path. It's now my path too. My path, your path. Drips with a punt. I don't know. Something that drips. I don't, it just has a, gives a picture of more than enough of just being saturated in it. Abundance, saturated in abundance. Abundant joy, abundant peace, uh, the abundance of the love of God, the abundance of his goodness coming out of our life might be a lot different than the way it's been, but that's what God has had on his mind. And so I'm announcing it to you. This is that. We're in that time. Glory to God. That's worth shouting about. Glory to Jesus. I also want to read another phrase or another statement to you. This is out of the message translation of Amos chapter 9. Now, this isn't what I'm going to be preaching on here, so don't take this out of my time. I know you've come for an allotted amount of time. And people only listen for so long. Jesus kept them three days, so I think that's a, that's a concept we could embrace. Not much enthusiasm on that. Amos chapter 9, verse 13, in the message translation reads this way, Yes, indeed, it won't be long now 
Things are going to happen so fast that your head will swim. One thing fast on the heels of the other. You won't be able to keep up. Everything happening at once. Now watch this. And everywhere you look, blessing. blessing. Glory to God. Yeah. Say it. Everywhere I look, blessing. Blessing. Whatever all blessing is, and it's a lot, everywhere we look, that's what God has on his mind. So uh, uh, let's read the rest of it because it's all good. Blessing like wine pouring off the mountains on the hills. Now that's not really a, a cause for buying another bottle. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to get off into that. Uh, he said, I'll make everything right again. How many of you need some things made right? Yes. Things that have been wrong, God wants to make them right. Yes. Things that have stayed wrong, God wants to turn it around so that it turns right. He said, I'll make everything right again for my people, Israel. I'll rebuild their ruined cities. Now, this is good for Israel, but my friend, this isn't only for Israel. And it wasn't just for that day, it's for this day. He said they'll plant vineyards and drink good wine. They'll work in their gardens and eat fresh vegetables. I'll plant them. Plant them on their own land. They'll never again be uprooted from the land I have given them. Now, while we understand that this would have been powerful for people in that day to hear these things, and they had very distinct and clear meaning to those people, there is meaning for you and me right now. These words and this prophetic word for them is also eternal, and it is for you right now. That God wants to bless your land if you don't own a lot of land, he wants to bless whatever else it is that you got. He wants that the blessing to be evident, to surround you, to be abundant, so that everywhere you look, you're not seeing the remnant of what's been wrong. You're seeing the result of what's been made right. Glory to God. That's a good word, isn't it? This isn't just pie in the sky. This isn't just trying to feel better. This is real promise from God. And here's what faith does. Faith locks on to things God has said, makes it personal, takes it as if it belongs to us because, in fact, it really does. That's what faith in God and God's Word is really all about. So I want you to embrace those things today. Will you take it? Amen. See, that was worth dressing up and coming across town to, just to receive that. <laughs> Glory to God. But we got more. I want you to open your Bible. If you brought your Bible, and I realize here because of the electronics, you don't really have to. But I think it does you good. I carry my Bible. As you see, I use the electronics also, and you don't care. But open your Bible to Matthew chapter... Six, And I want to focus on a particular statement. You know, this chapter 5, 6, and 7 is affectionately called the Sermon on the Mount. 
the greatest sermon maybe ever preached, light and insight and concepts of the kingdom of God that we really need to pay attention to. And there's far more in this Sermon on the Mount than you can do justice in in a single session together. But there is something that God had stand out to me that I, I want to have it stand out for you. And it just comes out of this one phrase in verse 10. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 10, where Jesus is teaching us to pray. Actually, verse 9 and 10, I'm sure, go together, but we're going to focus primarily on verse 10. Where he said, pray this way. Our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. That's verse 9, I think. <clears throat> your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. I just feel some real strong direction from the Holy Spirit that we're in a time frame, all of us are, when heaven and earth are drawn close. There's a thin veil, so to speak, between heaven and earth. While it's very likely that heaven is a physical place, what we know is that the kingdom of heaven is not defined by natural terms only, and it's not, it's not primarily only a physical place. There is a spiritual aspect to heaven where there is, and this gets a little strange for our, our limited way of thinking here, but there is no time, speed, nor distance in this kingdom. We here on earth live confined by time, speed, and distance. Those define so much of the way things go for us. How far is it? It's funny we ask, how far is it? It's about an hour. No, I didn't ask you about the time. I was just asking you about the distance. But we equate distance and describe distance with time and vice versa. Even when you get off into stuff that's so far out for us, the idea of a light year. A what? A light year. You know what I'm talking about. How far light would travel in a, in a year's time. We don't really have a concept of how far that is. I mean, we understand the numbers. Light travels at 186,000 miles a second. Eight minutes it takes for light to get from the sun to the earth. The nearest star beyond the sun, it takes four and a half years for light traveling at 186,000 miles a second to actually get here for you to see it in the night sky. I know you don't care about this, and it doesn't seem like there's any spiritual application, and I'm stretching for what it is right now. <laughs> but there are stars, literally, that you see, and then I'm going to just go ahead and roll with it for a while. Uh, there are stars you see in the night sky that actually at this point in time don't exist any longer, and yet you don't know it because the light has been traveling across the universe longer than you've been alive so that you could see it tonight. <laughs> You need to appreciate the past when you look into tonight's sky. 
because that's what you're seeing in every star that you look at. You are, this is so bizarre. Uh, you are looking at the past. This is a big universe with a word God initiated and slung the universe into existence and he created in that instant time, speed, and distance. And they are interrelated, but they are the limiters that we live with in the system that we live in. We live in the limit of the speed of light. Something gets beyond the speed of light, it disappears. Because, the, all right, this is bizarre. I don't even know why I went down this track this far. But uh, if light can't reflect off of something because it's traveling too fast, you can't see it. Am I moving too fast for you? No, you can see me. Good observation. Am I still here? All right, I'm moving too slow apparently. God said to pray this way. This is what we're told, that your will, God, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Too often we pay, pray that sort of prayer kind of passively. Lord, whatever you want, that's what I want. I don't know what you want, but whatever it is, that's what I want. That really doesn't work all that well. I mean, I, it's a good intention, and I understand that. But you can ask someone, maybe your spouse, I know guys can go through this, honey, where would you like to go for dinner? Where would you like to go? Oh, I don't care. Anywhere's fine. Well, let's go to the Chinese place. You know, I don't really feel like Chinese food today. Yeah, okay, that's fine. Well, you know, why don't we go to the Italian place? Oh, no, the pasta, it's way too heavy. Okay, okay well, where would you like to go? Oh, anywhere's fine. No, anywhere is not fine. So the answer starts passively, but you don't mean it. Okay, there's that harsh judgmental side coming out. I can feel it on its way. Uh, so, so I'll back up from that. But the point is, if there is a point to it, I just had to get that in. But uh, was that what you needed me to say? Was that all right? <laughs> wow, I'm just... Uh, Let's get back to the Bible. <laughs> Jesus tells us to pray this way, not passively, God, your will, whatever it is, we don't know what it is. We don't have a clue what it is, but whatever it is, we're for it. I mean, while that sounds okay, and I, I know there's a positive side to that, but what I want to really get across and what I believe the Holy Spirit is pointing out is that this is not really intended to be a passive prayer. Lord, your will be done right here, right now, yes. in the earth, in my life, right this minute. I'm laying hold on the will of God. Whatever that is, I want to find it regarding what I'm into right here and right now. It's laying hold on what is real in heaven and bringing it into being bringing it into my life right now, right here in the face of what I'm facing. Yes. Come on now. 
Jesus said, pray this way, our Father. We talked about the fatherhood of God here in one of these sessions. It would have been maybe as recent as last night. All runs together for me after a bit. But there is a will, a plan, a design, things that God wants. And here's the thing that we have to realize as believers, and there's some confusion over this among some. I don't think so here. But not everything that comes into a person's life comes because God has willed that it would. And I realize many things are said in, from a different point of view, and, and that's fine. Everyone's got the right to be wrong. But... Uh, when it really comes down to it, not everything that happens in a person's life happens because God planned it, designed it, and wanted it. Or it was his will. And there is a, a strange passiveness that comes when you take up that thinking that says, well, I don't know what God's doing by running me over with a car, but uh, certainly he has a plan for my life. Well, wait a minute. Okay, yeah, we know he has a plan for your life, but somewhere along the line, we've got to come to grips with the fact it was not his idea to have you run over. That's right. That's right. That's true. It was not really his idea for you to come under the pressure of satanic influence, demonic attack, strategies of strife, so that somehow he could work into you his love and help you know how much he loves you. Oddly enough, this has to continually be brought up because we are being inundated by the kind of thinking in Christian circles that what's going on, you know, we don't understand it all, but it's somewhere wrapped up in God's will and God's will's coming about and he's working his will into me even though it's the pits. No, it's about imposing God's will onto the events and things that are taking place and trying to steal and rob from our life. So he said, pray this way, your will be done. That's what I'm looking for is God's will to be done, not whatever else has been going on. But God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I don't think we have any trouble believing that God gets his way in heaven. I think heaven is doing fine. I think the way God wants it is the way it goes. I think everybody there is on the same page. They all know who's in authority. They all know where the power comes from. They all understand what the peace is all about and how it all came about and that Jesus is Lord and he's the king and he's crowned and we all know who's boss and there's no confusion here. And that's what we are aspiring to and rising up to for our entire life until we stand in that place. Now, look, I'm not rushing off to go to heaven. I brought this up also already, but heaven and the concept of heaven is one of those things we all know it's going to be beyond everything and anything we've ever thought. We have slightly in some cases more than slightly immature thoughts about what heaven is like. Now, of course, I know we're all growing in this. As a kid, you know, you're thinking of what heaven might be. It might just revolve primarily around ice cream. 
We don't know what all's in heaven, but ice cream. It's going to be all the ice cream that I could ever want. It will be ice cream. <laughs> you scream ice cream. We all scream for ice cream. Because that's heaven. And then you grow beyond ice cream and it turns into other things. But sadly, I don't think a lot of the definition that we give about heaven really has a lot to do with heaven, although I do anticipate and expect ice cream to be involved. <laughs> will there be food in heaven? Yes, there will. Bible's clear that there's the marriage supper of the Lamb. It sounds like that's going to be a long event, take a long time. I'm for long meals. <laughs> in heaven, we won't eat for nutrition. We won't need nutrition in heaven. Thank you, Jesus. We will eat for fellowship. That's why Christians practice that so much now. <laughs> If we're going to have a successful Christian event, I noticed it in the announcement even today, if we're going to have a successful Christian event somewhere along the line, we need food involved. If you got food involved, there's a much better chance people are showing up. Well, I'm thinking about going. Is there any food? Come on, you look so ready for lunch. But um, your kingdom come. We understand that God had a design from the very beginning of a kingdom on the earth, his kingdom on the earth. He talked about it to King David about the kingdom that would be established through his lineage. And he called it that. It was very clearly a kingdom. And Jesus, he didn't call him by name, but he said, God said to David, I will have a son and I will be his father, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Glory to God. It was all about kingdom. God has a kingdom he wants to have happen, and yet he's already established it in Jesus. But Jesus told us to pray this way so that what has been established in Christ is being established in us right here, right now. Not for another time. Oh, there is another time ahead. There is the age to come. No question about it. We understand that. But there are aspects of the age to come. This is what Hebrews chapter 6 gives us a little window into, just in a very brief statement. It talks about how we have tasted of the power of the age to come. There is an age coming, but so much of the power of that time is not limited to then. Let me give you a brief idea of what I mean. We've got some other things to do here. Are, everybody okay? Yeah. All right. Praise the Lord. King David himself. In the history of David, and you know the story. I won't go through this in detail, but it's fascinating. Really, there was a terribly dark side to David's history. Even as king, even being used by God, even having stepped into a place of authority, you know the story, he had an adulterous affair with Bathsheba. She conceived. He was trying to hide this child, and 
in the process, ended up feeling he needed to murder her husband. I mean, this was the great King David. He thought he had had things wrapped up and under control and hidden and covered enough until Nathan showed up, the prophet of God in the land. Nathan showed up and knocked at the door, and David let him in. And before I go on in this story, I'll just remind you of this little thought, and you might take this to heart. If you are in sin and a prophet comes knocking at your door, we can learn from David what to do and what not to do. Number one, don't open the door. <laughs> Until you first repent. <laughs> Come on, stick with me. I'm... Until you repent over whatever it is you've been up to that needs repenting and then open the door. Now, don't leave the prophet on the porch. <laughs> David opened the door. In came Nathan the prophet. Nathan described a few things, and in doing so, drew David all the way in to what was about to happen. David still thought he had managed the situation until the prophet of God said of what he had described and the violation that had taken place in the kingdom that David was reigning over and pro the prophet said, well, David, you are the man that has sinned that sin. And suddenly David was in a position that he knew what his future would look like based on what society and scripture even described. There was no offering, no forgiveness available, no way out. He was to be taken outside of the city. It didn't matter that he was king. He was to be taken outside of the city by the elders of Israel and killed by stoning. That was his future. Aren't you grateful for the new covenant? I mean, that just sparks a real appreciation. I mean, it just seems the churches would be so much smaller if... Anyway, you just fill in the blank. But um, but David did something that was absolutely remarkable. This is why I went through this story. Because he understood things about God. And though he had violated his relationship with God, he understood already that God was a God who wanted to forgive even though the law didn't provide an avenue for forgiveness. And David literally, I mean, when you read through Psalm 51, you see him crying out to God regarding God's loving kindness and tender mercy. He lays his sin out before God without without compromise, calls on God to forgive. Because he knew the heart of God, he knew that God was more about delivering people than destroying them. And he literally, this is what he did, this is amazing. He reached into new covenant forgiveness. It was not really 
in the age that he lived in because the price had not been paid by Jesus in time and yet here's where here's where your head has to go this gets bizarre uh, but the lamb was slain before the foundations of the world the Bible says so somehow the time issue and eternity issue somehow David reached beyond the limit of time and into the realities of eternity and drug that over into where he stood and he received forgiveness that would come through Jesus. Glory to God. I'm not making this up. So the reason I bring all that up is to say now that we live in this time frame of that forgiveness and of that eternal relationship being established through faith in Jesus, we still have the capacity of reaching beyond the limits of this age and into the realities of heaven and tasting and seeing the power of the age to come that it is also a part of this age. God's kingdom, whatever that's all going to be, and I'm sure we have glimpses into it, but I don't think we really get the full picture of how it's going to go. But it's exciting, whatever it is. Are you excited about going to heaven? Man, I am too. But there is still something inherent that God has put inside of us to put it off as long as possible. We are here to do something that reflects the goodness of God and the authority of Jesus in the earth now, which is what is established in heaven, but you and me become the contact of it being reflected and revealed right here, right now. This is why you've got to pray this stuff. This is why it gets out of being passive and it gets onto this personal faith kind of side that lays hold on the promise and the power of God so that what God's will is is actually happening. Satan has done his best and done his tricks to keep people confused about the will of God so that people don't know how to pray this prayer anyway but passively. So yes, we want God's will, but it's not a God whatever you want only. It is finding God's will regarding the here and now and taking hold of that, that with long life he has satisfied me and I will live that long life and I'll live it satisfied. Glory to God. That's one of those promises that we take and embrace and make it our own. Glory to God. But in the process, okay, there's a couple things. Uh, Let me read uh, another passage to you about this kingdom of heaven thinking that comes out of Matthew also, Matthew chapter 16. In Matthew 16, this is really something that's being taught kind of close to the end of Jesus' ministry. So in Matthew 16... Boy, there's so many things to go through here, but I've got to, got to plug into this, move on. Verse 19 says this. He said, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Yeah. Said out loud, I've got keys of the kingdom. I've got keys of the kingdom. 
He said he'd give, him, give it to his disciples. We're also disciples. Amen. He said, I will give you the keys. Say, I've got the keys. I've got the keys. See, this isn't just Jesus having the keys. He said, I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And here's what this is going to look like. Whatever you bind on earth is bound. It's bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loose. One translation would say it this way. Whatever you allow on earth is allowed. Whatever you forbid is forbidden. The message translation reads this way. You'll have complete, oh I love this, complete and free access to God's kingdom. Keys to open anything, any and every door. No more barriers between heaven and earth. Did you hear that? No more barriers between heaven and earth. A yes on earth is a yes in heaven. Glory to God. A no on earth is a no in heaven. This is power. This is authority. This is keys to how God wants things to happen in your life and mine. And he said, I give you these keys. Oh, yeah, obviously we have to do this under his instruction and authority, but we have his instruction. We don't do this apart from his plan and his will. We don't make stuff up. Well, I'll tell you what, Dennis, I'm just going to lay hold on all the oil wells in Texas. Okay, maybe Alberta. I think that'd be closer. Wouldn't have to have a longer pipeline. Although we're for the pipeline. Don't even get me started on that. <laughs> no, that is just not, that's just not going to work. You can't have all the old wells in Texas or Alberta because I'm laying hold on some of them myself. <laughs> but the Bible didn't promise you all the oil wells in Texas or Alberta. Or Oklahoma, either, none of them. I mean, it's not in there that way. But he did promise that you would be blessed. We lay hold on the blessing and then we let the Holy Spirit give us detail as to how that's going to look. But he said this, and I want to emphasize this a lot because he said, no more barriers between heaven and earth. You have the keys to unlock the barriers between heaven and earth. A lot of the barrier between heaven and earth is in the way we handle ourselves in the earth. The fact that we've been given authority tells us that the works of the devil don't have the right to prevail in our life and in our household and in our money and in our health and in our future. The, The tricks and the design and the desire of the devil have no right. And yet we still end up finding ourselves messing with some of those kinds of things, the pressure that satanic influence brings against us. Now look, you might as well just go ahead and settle it. The Bible's clear about this. There is a real devil. There's a demonic world. There are 
fallen angels, we call them fallen angels, they were angels, they fell. They followed the devil. Now, I realize that the devil seems quite sly and quite smart. He can't be nearly as sly and smart as he would like us to believe. I mean, think about how he got into the predicament that he's in now. He thought he was going to ascend onto a throne and dominate against God's will and God's plan. He thought he was going to prevail against Almighty God. That is the epitome of idiocy, among other things. So if he's that, if he's that stupid and confused and deceived, then he is that con- deceived and all those other things even now. While he is the father of lies and the the deceiver of the brethren, the deceiver is the most deceived. The reality is that the power that Jesus has given us so is overwhelmingly beyond what Satan can manage or handle. There is no real comparison, and yet you find yourself as a Christian struggling between what is true and what seems to surround us with demonic attack and influence instead of the power of God really showing up. And God wants this to turn around. He wants the reflection of his dominion and authority and the crown that rests upon him crowning your life as well and surrounding you with his influence. But we have to take this. We have to get beyond that passive mindset that, well, what God wants, God gets. Not everything that God wants does God get. God doesn't control everything, and it's easy to understand this. I mean, it's so easy. People get confused. I understand that. I mean, they think God just has handled everything, and everything is being managed. And it's, yeah. All you have to do is watch people drive a car, <laughs> and you realize there is the proof that God is just not in control because they are driving in a way that God would never have initiated or planned. (laughs) Now, I grew up in L.A. I live close to Dallas. Those are two places where driving is different. (laughs) Anyway, I won't get into it, but you get it. There's lots of things like that. God doesn't control the decisions you make. He doesn't control whether you go right or left. He doesn't control what you eat. Let's not even get into that one. But there are influences that we can resist and we have to learn how to resist. We have to understand there's authority that God has given us. There are angelic forces that God has put into play that just to to a much larger degree than there is demonic influence that can come against you, there is angelic influence that is designed to minister on your behalf. The Bible tells how the angels came and ministered to Jesus in his darkest hour. Angelic forces have come to minister to you and even as Hebrews 1.14 says, minister on your behalf. This room right now is jam-packed with angelic beings. 
We don't see them because they're operating beyond the speed of light. Every once in a while they slow down. Somebody sees them for a moment. You think I'm kidding. I'm not. And we can't go way off into all this time-wise. But there is something really powerful that you and me as believers have to embrace. And that is that there is angelic forces that are ready to go into action on your behalf. But if all we do is talk about how bad things are and how hurt we are and how offended that person made me and how bad it is and how much worse it's getting and how I hurt all over more than anywhere else and, and we go on with a litany of, of issues and things that are contrary to anything God says, these angels are not working. Because they're not going to bring about those kind of things. They use the Word of God. They respond to God's Word. And when that's what comes out of our mouth, now they can go into action because you're giving them something to work with. We've been too lazy and too apathetic about our own role in what Jesus has given us with these keys of the kingdom. There's a friend of mine I've gotten to know in the last number of months now. Powerful man of God. We were at lunch a few months ago talking and he said his, he started to tell me of an experience his wife has had. And she had gone to heaven. And she had seen some things. And she shared and described what she had seen while she was there. And she was able to describe a lot of what she had seen and what she experienced in heaven. She talked about the throne room. She talked about the, the creatures that she saw. She talked about the heaven itself. She talked about how busy people are in heaven, the activity and the work that was being done. It's not all just sitting around singing songs and eating ice cream, although I'm sure that's got to be a part of it in some way. But she talked specifically about something that really got my attention. A lot of things did. I mean, all of it had my attention when my friend was telling me about this conversation. But she described communication between people in heaven. She said, oh yeah, people are, there's a lot of communication. She said, now, communication with the Father is constant and ongoing. People didn't have to go to the throne room in order to talk to the Father. The Father was speaking all the time. And they were in communication with the Father at all times. Now, now, this wasn't part of our conversation in this, but think about it. We have access to that here and now. We don't have to wait to be in heaven to have that. Our Father is speaking all the time. And it's not all whipping somebody up and beating them up over the head over what's wrong. No, 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 that's not his communication. But she said this about communication between people. She had noticed four components I don't know that he used those terminologies or she did, so I've kind of evaluated this to, to really 
recognized these components of the communication. She said there were four factors, though, that she recognized in the communication between people that was going on in heaven. The reason I'm bringing this up is because when we're praying, your will be done on earth as in heaven, these are factors that have to factor into even our communication here. She said these four factors were a part of communication there. In every communication between people in heaven, there was always very clear respect between people in heaven. Respect. This is the thing that's under attack the most right now in communication in society. That respect and what lawlessness does to that factor of respect is being lost in society, but it cannot be lost in the body of Christ. Real respect and all the factors that would come with it. She said another, another aspect, and I've started to call this really the code, the code of heaven in communication. This is the code that they seem to live by. And this is the code we must live by. The first, the code includes respect. Secondly, she said all the communication she's experienced, she experienced there in heaven included kindness. There was always kindness. You see, kindness is not synonymous with weak. Being kind doesn't mean that you don't have a backbone or the strength to stand up and do whatever that would be unkind. No. It takes greater strength to remain respectful and kind in a situation than it does to just let it fly. She said kindness was a part of all communication. She said she notices that compassion was part of this code of heaven was real compassion. The Bible says of Jesus that he was moved with compassion. That's a part of what love does in us now. It gives us empathy, not sympathy, but empathy to be able to see into a situation and into a person's condition and what they're facing and to, to be able to have compassion for how they're handling themselves based on what's going on for them. I have compassion. Doesn't mean I like it all. Doesn't mean I like everything they do, but I can have compassion for whatever it is that's brought them to the place where they're doing what they do and act like they act. The final thing of this code of heaven is that she noticed that every communication had excellence. It was the demand of excellence for each person of themselves. That we demand excellence of ourselves. And if you stumble and miss the moment, you pick yourself up. I'm talking about now. We pick ourselves up and demand excellence again. Then she said this to, to her husband. He told me. I'm, I'm surprised he told me. She said, honey, I think... You need to have a lot more of these qualities in your communications. 
Okay, you don't see the humor in that. But um, it's not really humorous. It was a real exhortation. In fact, it, it was probably qualified as a genuine rebuke with a lot of respect and kindness and compassion and excellence wrapped around it. Glory to God. Even in our brief moments with people that we may never even see again, our brief interaction with somebody at a market or at the, at the filling station or, for me, at the airports or on the airplanes. Oh, man, this will try a person's soul. We love all of them. God bless them. These are factors of God's will in heaven. And part of reflecting heaven on earth is going to include a lot of that. God wants to move in us so that his will in heaven is being done now. And it's going to change not only the things that we experience, it's going to change how we handle one another and how we handle people outside of the kingdom. They're, They're not all our enemies. In fact, really none of them are our enemies. I know that's really hard to imagine considering so many things that go on right now but they're not our enemies. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done in me, God, right here, right now, in this conversation, in this day of my work, in being involved with these people, in making this decision. Lord, I'm laying hold on your will right here, right now. Heaven, on earth. Glory to God. Heaven's real. You know it is. It was just over five years ago that I really came to grips with it in a, in a big way again, even though there's never been a question about the reality of heaven and these things. But I was in Australia ministering in uh, November of 2012, and I'd been there a few days, and I was scheduled to be there a few more days, and I was ministering Uh, in some Bible colleges and churches. And man, I had a very busy schedule. It was just what I do and what I like to do. While I was there, I got the report that my, my mother was being taken to the hospital with a stroke. And it didn't look good. And I got a couple of reports until I finally got the report that my mother had left this planet. And there I was in Australia with a heavy schedule, having to decide what I needed to do about this. And sitting in that hotel room, and it was a nice hotel, and it was a nice hotel room. But you know what? Nice means nothing when you're dealing with real real issues of life. And real issues of death. And man, I had grief do its best to flood through my thinking and through my entire body. Grief and sorrow. And all that comes with this kind of moment. While I had experienced it before, this seemed different. This is your mom. And I dealt with this years before regarding my dad, but now it was different. It was so different. And there I sat in this hotel room. And man, I'm grappling with these things. 
Vicki was in Texas. She didn't travel with me to Australia. She'd been there many times, but she didn't go on that trip. But she said something to me. She, I told her what the report I got had been. She I was letting her know, keeping her up to speed with what I was finding out and hearing. And I let her know. And she gave me a passage of Scripture that the Holy Spirit gave her from 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 11. Can you bring that up, New King James Bible? Or actually the New Living Translation. Do you guys have the New Living up here on the screen? Can you do that on the screen? New Living Translation, do you know? Doesn't matter, I'll read it. Second Peter 1 and 11. She said, here's, the, here's what God gave me, Dennis. And God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I read that. She said it to me, but then, you know, as I read it, I got to chuckling. I just got to laughing. Because of that, that phrase... God will give you a grand entrance. She said, Dennis, your mother has had a grand entrance. We both laughed because we both knew this and I'd known it for years and years. My mother always wanted to make a grand entrance anywhere she went. She was a firm believer in being fashionably late. I don't really know what that entirely means. But I think what it would mean is that everybody else is already in their seat so they can watch her as she makes her entrance. A grand entrance. Now look. Doing what I do, that is irritating when somebody wants to make a grand entrance. But when it's your mother, it's fine. My mother had a great ability to sit through a message of mine. I would always, if she came to a meeting where I was speaking in Southern California where she lived, I'd always find a seat, have a seat in range, and we'd take care of her, and she'd come to the meeting. And, and uh, it seemed she had this capacity, an amazing ability, actually. I think it was, it was almost supernatural that... Within moments of me beginning to speak, she could fall asleep. <laughs> she seemed to have been doing fine during the announcements. <laughs> but within moments of me beginning to speak, her boy, her son, son, I'm so proud of you, son, you have such a good voice to speak. And all of the things she would say, I really wondered how she even knew this. <laughs> in a personal way, because she had slept through so many. She's in heaven now, knows this is all true. But, uh, but what was so divine and supernatural about her ability to fall asleep in moments of me beginning to speak was that her head would never drop. She could keep her head level with eyes closed and sleep through the entire message. <laughs> Laughter 
But now she had made a grand entrance. Glory to God. She had stepped over death. I want you to understand that entrance into heaven. Because you have to know that death hates you. It is the final enemy. And at that instant of stepping out of this system and into heaven, you step over death. While you do, it'll cuss you. It is your enemy. Because it hates you. Death in the kingdom of darkness designed by the devil hates you, hates who you are, what you stand for, and will do everything to cuss you with the most vile language for only an instant as you step over and death has no power to hold you. Glory to God. You step out of life into life. Glory to God. You step out of the limited life we have into the limitless eternal life that we already have tasted and seen and enjoy the powers. Glory to God. We are in a kingdom of heaven and God's design is for you and me to walk so powerfully in Him, so trusting, so recognizing His authority in our life that we are living with the victory of heaven while we are living it out right here on earth. We are reflecting the victory of Jesus over sin, sickness, demons, fear, and death itself. Child of God, I came today to help lift your eyes and get you out of whatever kind of mindset may have set in on you to feel sorry for your situation. We just have to look at our situation from a different point of view. Instead of just looking at the situation based on what they said and how bad it's been, and oh, I just it just never seems to end. And oh my gosh, I can't take it anymore. I'm ready to tell. Oh, shut up. I say in the love of Jesus. And we get a different perspective that I have the keys. I have heaven alive in me. I'm the reflector of the greatness of God, just like Jesus was. And I know conditions maybe don't look like it, but I don't believe the conditions alone are telling the whole story. These conditions around me, the things I feel in my body, the things that my bank account screams at me about, it doesn't tell the whole story. Our story goes way beyond but you got to keep reading to get past the trash of the story. Your story is beyond your pain. And it's not so that you can ignore it and learn to live with it. It's so that you can come out of what that story has looked like. And God began to write a new story. It's an old story, but it may be new to you right now. God wants to change the perspective because you are the link between God's 
power happening on earth as it is in heaven. The keys are in your hands. You have to decide how to handle these things. And we're making the decision now. We're taking that authority. We're taking the protection. We're taking the healing. We're taking the dominion so that what we bind on earth really is bound. I want you to stand with me.